there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Once I was, uh, this was years ago, I was playing Scrabble, which is not my favorite game. And people would think, oh, Scrabble, he would like Scrabble, he likes words. But for some reason, any game I don't win constantly, <laughs> I don't like. If I can't win every single time, then I don't like the game. So there's no games that I really like. It's like some coach said, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And unfortunately, I acquired that somewhere. This, this machine acquired that somewhere along the line very early because as far back as I can remember, winning wasn't everything. It was the only thing. And if I couldn't win, then I wanted to kill the person who I was playing, you know, whoever was beating me. Because it was like they were beating me. They weren't winning a game. They were beating me. And the only thing to do if someone's beating you is obviously make them stop. Well, if you can't make them stop with a the game, then pick up the board and beat them on the head with it until they stop or whatever. When I met my wife, she was a game person. She played backgammon and all these different games. And I played a couple of times. Scrabble was another one. I played a couple of times. And then she just beat me so bad every time. And I thought, you know, she must not want to play with me. Because you got to let me win once in a while or else I get discouraged and I will never play again. I mean, that's it. I'm just done. This is not something I've been able to not identify with very successfully. <laughs> so as I said, see, some things take longer. And this is one of the things that obviously is going to take lifetimes for me because I'm not making much progress in this life with it. And maybe I have. Maybe the fact that I can even admit it now is progress because I would have never admitted it before. I would have just snuck away and licked my wounds in darkness. Uh, I was playing Scrabble, and one of the people playing was a high school student, and she used the word ped, P-E-D. And I said, oh, that's not a word. And she said, sure it is. And I said, well, what is it? You know, ped xing, ped crossing. And uh, the things they have in the street, pedestrian crossing, and they abbreviate it ped xing, pedestrian crossing. So we're supposed to know that. After using a new blender, Connie was in the kitchen using the blender and she was making something and she says to me, how do I make the little red light stop flashing? I didn't really know what little red light was flashing because I wasn't there, but I imagined it was the off. When it finishes, this red light flashes on the off and on switch so that you can push the off and on switch. I said, well, turn it off. Well, there wasn't a button that said off because now they have symbols. So there's a little circle with a line that goes in it, and the circle's like broken where the line goes in. And that's the on-off switch. But you have to know that. You have to know that symbol and understand what that symbol means in order to get the communication. This is the, we call this communication and wonder why people don't understand one another. How do I make the little red light stop flashing? How do I do that? Well, you could always hit it with a hammer. Some people get frustrated enough, they do. They, uh, because they don't understand then they're identified with themselves. And if they don't understand, it means they're stupid. And if they're stupid, then this stupid machine is making them stupid, so kill the machine. 
I hope someone is getting this because I, I'm, I can't be the only person on this planet who is like this, you know, who, who wants to win all the time. This is the planet of the apes, right? Okay, we all want to win all the time. Good. And some of us are just aware of it, and some of us are still lying to ourselves about it. Is that pretty much how it goes? Okay. And, of course, I'm leaving out the ascended masters here who, who are just beyond it all, who have already observed it all and who all got it all handled. And they don't identify with anything, and they're here just to teach us or they're here to babysit us or whatever, you know, those people. People think if they speak like English or French or Spanish that other people who speak English, French, or Spanish will understand them. But we imagine that if somebody speaks the same language, then they should understand us when we talk to them. But <laughs> we don't understand one another. In fact, we'd probably have a better chance being understood if the person doesn't speak the same language as we're speaking, because maybe that person will be a bit more conscious in trying to get your communication. And sometimes when we apply more consciousness to something, it's enlightening. We get more. Isn't that amazing? The more light you bring to something, the more consciousness you bring to something, the more aware you are, the more awake you are, the more present you are, and the more you get, the more meaning you get. I talked to a guy yesterday. I was at this garden center, and there was this guy, and he had this hat on, veteran, you know, and he, was, he looked like to be about my dad's age. So he was clearly a veteran of the Second World War, and he had a T-shirt on about going fishing, and he's wearing this veteran's hat, and he's got a hearing aid in, and he had some scars on his face. So it looked like he probably was wounded during the war, and maybe his hearing and things like that. It all looked like it was, you know, the whole package was right there. So the impression I had was that he was tall and very military looking. Even though he was in civvies, he was very military looking, very straight spine, very good posture, very military posture, I should say, not necessarily good posture, but military posture. And uh, he was just standing in the middle of the floor, just standing there. And I smiled and said hello or something, and he spoke, and he asked what I use. So I was buying some fertilizers. What do you use that for? And I told him, and we got to chit-chatting. And everything I said, I didn't, obviously I didn't take into consideration. He had this hearing aid, and he wasn't having an easy time hearing, but he was still trying, and he would answer. He wanted to talk to me, and I didn't really want to talk to him. You know, I just wanted to get out of the store and go back to work. But he wanted to talk, and so I stopped and turned around because he was answering something I didn't ask. And that's when I understood that he misunderstood what I'd said. So I turned around and I listened to what he said, and he was telling me where he lived, which I didn't want to know. I didn't ask him, but somehow he had misunderstood something else that I'd said. And this was just one of those situations where communication was very difficult. And rather than blowing it off, I thought, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to press into this stopped everything and turned around and I faced him and I went over and started to talk to him and I talked more slowly and I talked louder so that he would have a chance to get what I was saying. And so we talked for a while and when we were finished talking he kind of stood there smiling and he said well you know go and feed your roses or whatever he, and you could tell I mean everything oozed out of this guy that he'd finally made a connection and he wanted to shake hands and he was so I reached out and shook his hand I said it was very nice meeting you nice chatting with you thank you and he was all happy and I went on my way now we speak the same language but we had a terrible time 
trying to get the proper communication across. Until finally I realized that the proper communication had nothing to do with what we were talking about, had nothing to do whatsoever with the words. It was a human being reaching out to another human being to make some kind of human connection. That's what it was about. But I had to dribble down through all the stuff, the layers of stuff, to get to the final thing, which was to reach out and shake his hand, to connect with a man, and to say thank you. Thanks for being alive. Thanks for being wounded. Thanks for being a veteran. Thanks for going fishing. Thanks for being a human being. You know, thank you. I recognize you as a human being of value and worth. That's all he wanted, and that was his communication. His communication was that. And so I got his communication and gave him what he wanted, and life went on. Words have ideas behind them, but we only imagine that we know what those ideas are. And this is a huge problem for us because we're all imagining that we know the ideas behind the words. We're all imagining that we're actually communicating with one another. When the truth is that real communication is almost always nonverbal. Real communication is a mother and a baby. Real communication was that interaction with that veteran in the garden center yesterday. That's real communication, and it's usually nonverbal. Well, I'm not saying you can't communicate verbally. It is possible, but it's not as likely as we think it is. It doesn't happen as often as we think it does. What happens more often is miscommunication and misunderstanding. It happens more often. But because we're imagining that we're communicating, we don't even know it. It wasn't until this guy started to tell me something that I didn't ask him that I realized that he did not hear what I had said. He'd heard something else. And because he had the hearing aid, it was a cue. Okay, he's got a hearing problem. This wasn't just something else. He had a hearing problem. So it made it easier to isolate the problem and deal with it. But with us, because we're imagining, we look at each other and we go, well, there's not, what are you, hard of hearing? What are you, deaf? We imagine that they should get our communication because we know what we mean. We're sure that we know the ideas behind the words we're using. Our imagination supports our pride and vanity. We don't want to admit that we didn't communicate, that we can't communicate, that we can't get somebody's communication. We don't want to admit that. That doesn't make us look good. So our pride and vanity then supports our imagination. The imagination just flows right into it. Pride and vanity puts a fence around it. Okay, stay out. Keep out. Nobody's allowed to hear. This is the way it is. We imagine this is the way it is. We're satisfied. Since the Tower of Babel, visionaries have envisioned an international or universal language. In 1887, L.L. Zamenhof published his first book detailing Esperanto, an easy and flexible language that would serve as a universal language. From 1937 to 1951, Edo was developed from it with the same idea. There are about a thousand native Esperanto speakers in the world, about 10,000 people who speak it fluently, and about 10 million who are familiar with it. Now, it's not making a lot of headway in becoming a universal language. Zamenhof's idea was that our language barrier, different languages, make for ethnic misunderstandings and hatreds and suspicions and things like that. And he thought, if we had one language that was an auxiliary universal language that people could use, it would just eliminate all of that. Well, it's a great idea, except that it doesn't work. Gurdjieff said, in order to understand one another, we must learn a common language. Notice the difference between common and universal. One approach was a universal language. Gurdjieff looked at that and went, no, <laughs> that's not going to work. Because he understood the human condition. He understood what we are like. He understood himself. He understood 
his machine. So if he understood his machine, he understood your machine. He understood the machine. Once you understand your machine, you will understand the machine, the false personality. This work isn't for everyone. It can't be a universal language. But we can learn a common language for work purposes. That is doable. The universal language has had a lot of years, and they just come up with newer universal languages. Well, no, that one's not good, so let's try this one. And they'll just keep doing that, and of course it will go nowhere. We'll have a thousand native speakers in the world since 1887. Well, that's really not very good for a potential universal language. The difference between Gurdjieff and Zamenhof and others is Gurdjieff understood no universal language could work given our condition, the condition of man on this planet. Love in any language will be misunderstood unless one understands all seven definitions of the word according to the seven levels of man. Same thing with Jew, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Jain, Buddhist, whatever. There are seven different meanings for each of those words. Which one are you talking about when you use the word Jew or Christian or Muslim or Buddhist? Which one of those seven meanings do you mean? How many people, when you're having a conversation with them, and they say, what's your religious background? And you say, well, Christian or Jew or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever you say, or atheist or agnostic or whatever it is you say. How many of those people have ever asked you, well, which of the seven levels of that are you? Nobody has asked you that. Well, maybe I have, but, <laughs> but nobody else outside of here has because people don't talk like that. And people don't talk like that because they don't understand the ideas behind the words they use. And if they understood the ideas behind the words that they used, communication would be more possible. And the problem with words is the ideas connected with them. There are lighter and denser ideas behind words according to one's understanding. Once upon a time, I used the words atomic weight. And somehow, some people connected with that idea of atomic weight. There was a certain weight, a certain density to things, to ideas. And that some ideas had a bigger atomic weight. They weighed more than other ideas. Atomic weight was just something I made up. It was something that the idea made up. See, the idea and the idea of communicating that idea, trying to get that across to people so that they could taste it and feel it and move around in it also made me come up with something like that, atomic weight. And it's a great phrase, but it's meaningless, unless you know the ideas behind it. And it's just a meaningless phrase, atomic weight, what does that mean? Greater meaning absorbs lesser meaning. And this is what makes our transformation possible. If greater meaning didn't absorb lesser meaning, we wouldn't have a chance. But because greater meaning absorbs lesser meaning, we can grow, we can develop, which is really exciting. It's exciting to me because I have the idea. It's not exciting to you just yet because you're still not up to speed with the idea. How is it wonderful that greater meaning absorbs lesser meaning? Are you happy with yourself the way you are? No. <laughs> well, at least I've accomplished that much. All these years, we've accomplished this much. You're no longer satisfied with yourself. You're no longer happy with what you are and what you do and how you react. How about you, Diane? Are you happy with yourself? No. But you've never been happy with yourself, have you? So this isn't new. No. no. We need to change this. See, we need to change this unhappiness with yourself to something else. For you, unhappy with yourself is just your rigid, you never measure up to the standards that whoever you acquired the standards from had for you and had for everybody in life. So you never measure up. So now you're unhappy and you spend a, a whole life being unhappy because you don't measure up. 
But this other unhappiness that I'm talking about, this other dissatisfaction comes from self-observation where you start to see what you are, but you don't identify with it. You're not identified with what you are. When you're not identified with what you are, it's dissatisfied. You look at it and you say, well, this will change. This must change. And why will it change? Well, because now you have greater meaning. You see that life is more than just going to work, coming home, doing this, doing that. Life is more than life as we have known it. Life has a greater meaning. And that greater meaning begins to absorb the lesser meanings of your life. So your negative emotions, well, you wouldn't give those up for anything. But now that you have some greater meaning, those negative emotions begin to be absorbed by that greater meaning, don't they? You're no longer willing to spend as much time being negative. You no longer look for ways to be negative. You still look for ways to be negative, obviously. But you don't look for ways to be negative like you used to. You don't look to prolong it like you used to. You don't justify it like you used to. You don't hang on to it like you used to because of greater meaning, because the greater meaning of the work ideas has absorbed the lesser meaning. It just sucked it right out of there. So those things that you used to take such joy in now are meaningless or have less meaning because their meaning has been absorbed by greater meaning. Now you get what I'm talking about? That's why this work is so cool. That's why esoteric ideas are so cool, because they have greater meaning, they can absorb lesser meaning, and we can change or be transformed, if you will. Maurice Nicole said, contact with greater ideas makes smaller meanings less hypnotic. If there's anything that you've seen about smaller ideas, it's they are hypnotic. Listen to some of the things that we say. It's a mantra. Some of the mindless babble that goes through our heads. It's just this stupid, meaningless mantra. And it is hypnotic. This work aims at building into us new, interrelated ideas from a source greater than ourselves, which will help us bridge the gap between our current state and the source of those greater ideas. What does that mean? This work is trying to build a bridge from where we are to where we could be if we developed in a different direction than the direction that life pushes us in. That's what the work is for. It's to build that bridge so that we can begin to connect with the source of those greater ideas that have greater meaning. Let me put it to you another way. Higher intellectual and higher emotional centers are fully operative, sending us messages and meaning all the time. But we don't hear it because we don't have the telephone wire hooked up or because we don't have the telegraph wire hooked up or because we don't have a bridge to get there where we can hear it or because we don't have our hearing aid turned up, whatever. And for us, right now, the work is our hearing aid. It's our translator. It's something that has received the greater meaning from higher intellectual and higher emotional centers, and it's something that has been stepped down so that we can talk about it, and we can see that there is something more. And then we start to feel that there is something more. And then we start to experience the something more, because the ideas carry greater meaning, and that greater meaning begins to absorb the lesser meaning of our life, and our life is enlarged and gets bigger as our consciousness expands. That's how it works. The network of connected ideas become a receptive organism speaking directly to our inner, real, essential man. I've said this work is a living thing. That's why it's so funny to me that people try and carve this in stone. Try to say, no, Gurdjieff said this, and oh, you have to stick to that. You can't add anything else. You can't take anything away from it. Well, it's just not organic that way. You may as well just have a statue. You may as well just have wax fruit, because that's all it is. It's just wax fruit. 
the real deal is it's organic. It's a living thing. And that's the only thing that's going to nourish you. Wax fruit, in case you hadn't noticed, you could eat wax fruit all day long and you won't get any nourishment from it. But you can eat real fruit and get nourishment from it because it's organic, because it's alive, and because you are too, and it will nourish you. And these ideas will nourish you. So this network, as it were, of connected ideas actually becomes a receptive organism. It's almost like a suit for your mind, clothing for your mind, that the ideas are woven together until they make a garment for your mind. And you are actually, you know that you're wearing garments now psychologically. Your attitudes are like clothes. All of these things are, we've talked about this stuff in the past, about the wedding garment. You remember the wedding garment, things like that that we talked about? Yes? No? Okay. I wish I could remember which number the talk was, but I don't remember. So you'll just have to go through them all until you find it. And who knows, maybe you'll get something out of it. It could happen. It's possible. When we begin to shift from the mechanical communication to the conscious communication, the space of relationship is altered and everything is transformed. We communicate now mechanically, as a rule. When you start to communicate with somebody consciously, the whole space of your relationship changes. And it changes right now, and then it continues to change. And all kinds of possibilities open up that were not there before. As it is, we cannot love one another because we communicate mechanically. The only way to love one another is going to be conscious communication. There's really no other way. A word by itself is nothing outside the meaning that it conducts. The quality of meaning is based on the scale of the ideas behind the word. If we do not rightly understand our position in the great ray of creation, our position in universal scale, then we assign ourselves a value that doesn't belong to us. As we are, if you look around this planet, you will see a planet of people with price tags on them. And the price tags are very, very inflated. People wear trillion-dollar price tags, and they're worth 97 cents or whatever. Just that. Just like, well, you're wearing a trillion-dollar, you're worth 97 cents. You, you're worth 97 cents. You notice how you want to object to that? I'm worth more than 97 cents. You notice how that just irks you, it rankles you? That's what I mean by this price tag, and that's what I mean by not understanding our position in the universal scale. It's like the Earth. The Earth is everything, right? Well, yeah until you realize that it's part of a solar system. And then the solar system's everything, until you realize that it's part of a galaxy. And then the galaxy's everything, until you realize that it's just one little speck in a universe that is beyond our imagination, its vastness. The sun is everything, until you realize it's a little dying star, a very small dying star among an innumerable number of stars in our universe. Now, you are a person on a planet that is going around this little tiny dying star in a universe of innumerable stars, galaxies, solar systems. Let that sink in. That's what starts to give meaning to your life. You're here for some other reason, not just to serve this planet or this solar system or this galaxy. You're here for some other reason, and it must be different from the reason that we've taken it to be. So our worth is potential worth. Our value is potential value. But as we are now, we're really just machines. We're really not worth much. We're just part of this huge thing going on. And this huge thing is really very small in comparison to everything else that's going on. Our Earth is really like nothing compared to everything else. Uh, Men in Black. You remember the film Men in Black? I love the last bit where these guys, are. there's the Earth, and, and then finally they pick it up and put it in a marble bag, and it was like... <laughs> 
it wasn't just the Earth. I think it was like our whole galaxy. And these guys were just playing marbles with the galaxy, pick it up, put it in a marble bag. That's the kind of scale that I'm talking about. You start to get your scale broadened. You start to be able to see yourself in scale. You don't think as much of yourself. You don't value yourself as highly. You don't wear trillion-dollar price tags. You become a lot more reasonable. You're not for sale, but if you were, you'd be reasonable, really. Your value is reasonable. Only a universal understanding of ourselves will lead us beyond self-emotions, which belong to false personality. What is the problem for man on this planet? Well, there's not enough food to go around. There's not enough water to go around. People are poor. And if you solve poverty, and if you solve hunger, and if you solve all of these things, then everybody will live together in peace and harmony. No, they won't. You take all the wealth of the entire planet and divide it equally to everyone on the planet. And everyone will have $9,000 today. And by 6 o'clock tonight, there will be rich people and there will be poor people. Because the problem is not the division of wealth. The problem is internal. It's how we do what we do and why we do what we do because we're screwed up. And you can level the playing field every day, every single morning. As a matter of fact, when the sun comes up, that's what that is. It's a level playing field. The minute your moving center starts when you call yourself awake, but you're not. All it means is that your moving center is now active. The minute your moving center becomes active, the playing field is no longer level. You immediately start to go by your old associations and whatever else. All the things that make it not level. All the things that keep your life the way it is, repeating over and over and over and over and over again. Maurice Nicole said, real emotions are cognitive and dissolve away our little domestic emotions. Some emotions blind us, others open us. Real emotions always teach you something, not in words, but in ideas. Emotionally apperceived. Apperceive is the mental process by which a person makes sense of an idea by assimilating it to the body of ideas he already possesses. Every center catches rays of meaning from the realm of ideas through its own receptive subdivisions. So you know that your emotional center has an intellectual subdivision, has an emotional subdivision, has an instinctive subdivision, and it has a moving subdivision, and it has others as well. You know that. So ideas fall on all of those centers, and where those ideas fall makes a difference in how we take meaning in. We don't get meaning if the ideas don't fall on the right places in the right centers. We don't get the meaning that we're supposed to get. So we don't get the nourishment that we're supposed to get. We are fed by ideas as the food of impressions. The quality of food is determined by the source of the idea. So how good the food is, is going to be determined by the source of the idea. Now you'll notice that we're right back to greater meaning absorbs lesser meaning. So greater ideas convey greater meaning, and that greater meaning absorbs lesser meaning, or little ideas that are not so meaningful. The work calls the eternal ideas C-influences, says that those C-influences are coming from the conscious circle of humanity. Man-made ideas are called A-influences. They are lacking weight and density. They influence us, but to what end do man-made ideas influence us? To life ends. Man-made ideas. Okay, what's a man-made idea? Think of the advertising industry. Think of the movie studios and record companies. Those are man-made ideas. Do they influence you? Oh, yes. To what end? Not to your benefit. How does advertising benefit you? The idea of advertising is a beneficial idea, but it has lost its meaning in our culture so that now people are advertising for an entirely different reason. They have different meaning for advertising. 
It's to make money. It's not to advertise. It's not to make people aware of something to help them. It's now to make money. So it becomes a life end. People fight for freedom. Does this type of freedom have any real idea behind it? What's its level? From whence does it come in the ray of creation? Freedom for all is an A-influence idea. Ending hunger is an A-influence idea. Ending poverty is an A-influence idea. These are all man-made. They're not eternal. How can you know? The work says there is no freedom under 48 orders of law while we're asleep. So here we are, this whole planet, asleep. Now you give everybody their money, their food, and now you have a whole planet of people who have money and food and who are asleep. Where's the freedom in that? Now everybody has $9,000. What are you going to buy? What are you going to do with that $9,000? Where's the freedom? So we imagine that that's all going to make everything fine. But we're not realizing that there's a relative freedom. Relative freedom is how we can come under higher influences by work on ourselves. You can avoid negative emotions and come under new influences. Yes, you've been able to experience this. You, you've been able to experience if you avoid negative emotions, you come under better influences. If you go with better eyes, you avoid negative emotions and you come under better influences. And those better influences come in the form of ideas and they nourish you. Freedom in the work has a dense idea behind it, full of meaning from far above our level. Maurice Nicole again, as if man who could not make a simple part of his brain or body could be free in the common sense. This is sheer vulgarity. Can you be free when you do not understand in the least how you were made? The reason I'm quoting Nicole here is because he has a denser meaning for people in the work. If I say this is sheer vulgarity, people can object. If Maurice Nicole says it, it's denser meaning, they won't object as easily. Oh, there were people who don't have any love for Maurice Nicole who can object. But when you start to understand what he was about, then you start to love him. And once you love him, he has greater meaning for you. And when he has greater meaning for you, then he can give you greater meaning. His ideas can give you greater meaning because you will accept greater meaning and it will absorb the lesser meaning of your objections and who does he think he is and why, how dare he say that I'm vulgar and blah, 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 blah. That insanity. You know, the insanity that runs our lives as an individual, as a group, and as humanity on this planet. That insanity. Politically correct speech is an example of words broken loose from their right connection of ideas. Their words divorced from real meaning. They are political jokes and people laugh about them because they're absurd. And the only people who are not laughing are the people who believe in them. But the people who realize that politically correct speech is words that are broken loose from any real meaning, that you either laugh or you cry. That's your choice. And people who are aware generally laugh rather than cry. Although we can cry. Relative thinking becomes possible only when we can see the truth consciously. They were all part of a whole. Unless we know something of the whole, our ideas of ourselves are going to be all wrong. Unless we can see ourselves as we are in the whole scheme of things, how can we possibly have any kind of right idea about ourselves? How can we possibly know what we're for? How can we possibly know what we're capable of? How can we possibly know how to change anything about this machine? We've got to be able to see it as part of the whole before we can do that. Practically, begin to think, what is from myself? What is from others? And what is from something greater than myself? Now, one of the standard ways of saying what is from something greater than myself is saying what is from the absolute? What is from God? What is from 
the conscious circle of humanity, what is from above, whatever, whatever works for you, and I don't really care what it is. We don't speak from ourselves. This is something that becomes clear to people who observe themselves. We don't speak from ourselves. Our thoughts belong to others and come to us from acquired false personality. When you're talking, you are not talking. Your parents are talking, your uncle, your aunt, your family, your teachers, the whole world. Movies. Movies are talking. Songs are talking. An author is talking. A writer is talking. But you're not talking because we don't speak from ourselves. We just carry someone else's voice. That's what it means to have an acquired false personality. An acquired false personality means you don't exist. There's no one to talk. This I is truly imaginary I. We just imagine that we exist. But the truth is, there could have been an explosion in an alphabet soup factory, and you just happen to be some of the letters still flying outward. <laughs> Such real thinking awakens emotional center, giving you real cognitive emotions instead of soiled self-emotions. You've got to admit, self-emotions are icky. They're dirty. I mean, they're just icky. You get in self-emotions, and what do you have? Negative emotions. Pride, vanity, offensiveness, upset. You give offense, you take offense, you're vulnerable, you're mean, you're guarded, you're nasty, you're aggressive, you're passive, you're whatever. All of those things are soiled self-emotions. Try to observe your habitual emotional state and thoughts. It's not a pretty picture. That's why I say try to observe it, because it's not easy to observe. Don't you want to purify them? When you start to see your habitual Thoughts, states, emotions, don't you want to purify them? Yes, you do, because you're here, and you keep coming back, because you want to purify them. You want to wash them. Esoterically, this is what all the baptism, the foot, and clothes washing is about in the Bible. Our psychological body, our mind, is dressed in what we take as truth. You remember me telling you this? What we take as truth becomes clothing for our psychological body. Well, you know what they say? They say, clothes make the man. Well, very often that's exactly the case, but it's psychological clothing that makes the man. Who a person is, is who they are psychologically. We have to wash our brains to get new clothing for our minds. See, our minds are soiled with self-emotions, and they need to be washed. We need to be brainwashed. Unfortunately, many in the work have no real desire for truth, only for ego gratification. They want to talk about the ideas. They want to write about the ideas. They want to tell other people about the ideas. And they do it endlessly. Clinging to acquired mechanical truth, they don't wash themselves with the new meaning of the truth of esotericism. You need to apply this stuff to you, to wash yourself with these ideas, to cleanse yourself from false personality and all that we have acquired, all the dirt and the dust and the lint and the crap that we have collected in our journey to this spot in life from when we started, when we were born. We started collecting garbage when we were born, and we've been collecting it right up to this point, and we're collecting it now. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed of all that. Eleanor Roosevelt said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Just think about that. Use that as a simple yardstick for your habitual thoughts, attitudes, states, and emotions. Greater meaning comes from greater ideas. This is a good idea. If you will take greater ideas, they will lead you out of lesser ideas, and they will lead you into still greater ideas, increasing the meaning that you get in your life. And 
that meaning will constantly be purifying your mind, your psychology. And that's what this work is about, and you can do it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.